and I want you to grab your Bible this morning and turn with me uh, to the Old Testament. We're not done with the prophets. Uh, we're in the prophet Malachi this morning. So if you find Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, just turn left one book and you'll find Malachi right there. The last minor prophet, the last word God has for his people as they came back from exile. About 400 years it would be that God had not sent a word. Malachi was the last message to them. And it's not just a word for God's people, it's a message for you and for me as well this morning. Uh, because God's going to reveal something to Malachi and through Malachi to his people that is, frankly, important for you and I to understand in our journey of faith each and every day. Because uh, Malachi means my messenger, God's messenger. And the word that he spoke was, of course, appropriate for that day in which he spoke. Uh, but as the messenger brings the eternal God's word to us, that eternal word is good for you and I to, as well this morning. So we want to hear God speak. Have you noticed that things keep changing swiftly in our nation and in our life? Um, and yet what we're going to talk about today is the unchanging God. How do you worship the unchanging God when everything around you is changing? When you just stop and consider technology today. You know, we used to leave these things called voicemails, and that wasn't too long ago. Now we just text them someone. Have you thought about this? You don't even have to memorize anybody's phone number anymore, right? You just speak, hey, Siri, right? Call so-and-so. There was a day when we used to have these things called cameras. Do you all remember those? Like we used to, when's the last time you bought a roll of film? Stop and think about that for a moment. Now we just use our cameras, right? We just take all these photos, in fact, some of this will be interesting. You know, we make playlists now instead of burning CDs. And there's even a generation right now. Don't even, what are you talking about burning a CD? Yeah. Things change so quickly. Technology is just a sign of it. Uh, uh, it just reveals it to us. But things in life change swiftly. In fact, it's kind of like uh, the philosopher Heraclitus said. He said, you know, you cannot step into the same river twice. In other words, when you and I step off the bank into flowing water, a river, the water that passes over our feet is not the same as the water that passed over it five seconds ago or even ten seconds ago. Life like that water passing over us is changing. It's always in flux. It's what we're experiencing. And, and so his philosophical statement is something we realize today. In fact, some of y'all right now are experiencing that maybe with your career. You're trying to figure out which way do I go, which, which job opportunity do I take. And life can really be in flux when you're changing jobs. Or even if you're changing homes, right, if you move. I mean, your whole world's in chaos. You don't know how much stuff you have till you move, right? By the way, I've also heard you don't know who your friends are until you move because they usually help you, right? Hey, have a baby. That will radically change your life. Did you know April and I realized we were perfect parents until we had children? And uh, <laughs> we learned quickly how much we didn't know. Life changes. Hey, there's students. You're wrestling with your future. Do I go to trade school? Do I go to college? Do I just take this job? Do I pursue this career? Do I go in the military? You're wrestling with that. And it's flux. Things are up. You're wondering. Flux is everywhere. Change. Our culture, man, it's really changed. I mean, I stop and think about, listen, if there's some of the greatest generations still here among us, when you ask them some questions about the changes that they've seen in the past 80, 90 years, and what's happened to America, they, they're going to say, what happened to all that we sacrificed for? What happened to our faith in God to do great and amazing things? What's, why was that jettisoned? Why was it thrown away? 
I mean, when you stop and think just morally and socially in our society, how things have radically changed just in the past decade. Things that one day, at one time, were abominable. No one would even dare mention that they participated in those things. And now it's paraded. When you stop and think about this, um, even in churches, we get these emails every now and then from these consultants, right? Who tell us, you know, hey, here's the latest update of changes in the church. Because there's change all the way out there, but there's also change taking place in God's house. Just church attendance, just going to church is now a fringe activity. There's so few who actually do it. And those who regularly attend are actually irregular. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. It used to be that, you know, we wanted to be in the house of the Lord, gather with God's people, and worship together. But now, just being regular is irregular. In fact, they say now a band and lights and haze are traditional. Not here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. In fact, it's no longer a show that captivates and draws the attention. Uh, the performance-oriented, entertainment-oriented churches now are having to find more and more ways just to keep them in and keep them interested. Part of that's because they've jettisoned the Word of God. And, and, and they've jettisoned true doctrine and truth. In fact, some, leader, some of these gurus tell us now God has just become generic. In fact, most people don't even know what they're converting to because usually an opportunity to convert isn't even presented as part of the service. An opportunity to actually take a step of faith and obey what God may have said to you that your life might be changed. And these are the changes that are happening within the house of God. And so with all this change that's around us in all of our life, every aspect of life, it doesn't matter how old you are today. We're all going through change. Is there anything that is unchanging that I can trust in, that I can rest in, that when everything's shifting and, and everything's in flux, I've got something stable? And that's why we consider the immutability of God. Immutability means this, God doesn't change. It means that God is unchanging in his essence, who he is, in his will, what he wants to do. And in his promises that he's made. That's the God we gather to worship. Malachi is going to write to us today. He's going to highlight this. We quoted the verse just a moment ago in chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to see how that plays in the context of what he's saying. And the message that he had to God's people in that day, a message, frankly, to you and I as well that we need to hear. And a message that we need to apply today in our lives. Because our God is unchanging. Listen, he will never change in his essence who he is, his attributes. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and God's not going to be good. Is that kind of important for you? It is for me. I, I think it's important that he's not going to be merciful tomorrow because he's mercy. Or he's gracious. Or he's righteous. I mean, the essence of God, who he is, you and I can take it to the bank every day when we lay our head down and when we wake up in the morning, our God will be the same when I wake up tomorrow. And his will, what he wants to accomplish his desire, what he has revealed, his will. Nobody will stop nor thwart his will from taking place. He's a great and mighty God. He's, he, no one can stop him. He's on his throne. No one's going to kick him off his throne. And his promises, oh man, we need to cherish those. That when he speaks, he's going to be faithful to do what he says he's going to do. Here's the amazing thing, even when I don't, and you don't. Even when his people did it, he's faithful to his promises. What an amazing God. I mean, I don't think we're entertaining thoughts that truly are worthy of him oftentimes. We really don't see him as he truly is. And the sad thing is when we don't, we don't really see ourselves as we truly are. Because it's only in his light 
that I truly see the darkness that's in me. And, and when I do, the, what I need to realize is he wants to change that in my life and in your life too. So I want you to stand with me. Let's hear the, the word of God. It's actually, as Michael, Malachi shares this with God's people, it's an indictment against them. And, um, and it's an indictment, frankly, against the church today in many ways as well. I'm going to back up to chapter 2, verse 17, because it sets the stage for God's response to his people. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17 of Malachi. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say this, what? Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure his day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Here we go. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Father, thank you that you give us the invitation frequently to return. God, we have wandered, as Isaiah was would say, all of us like sheep have wandered. And we've wandered far, God. And we ask that you would draw us back to you. Woo us back to you, Lord. That our hearts might be yielded and surrendered to you. That we might not question you or your will or your ways. And that, God, we might truly see you as you are so we know who we are. God, I pray that your word would speak to us today. God, right now, if there's any obstacle from us hearing you speak, Lord, anything in our lives that wouldn't enable us to just focus for a short time, Lord, to hear God speak, God, may we realize you have the words of life, the words that can change our lives. God, give us a hunger right now. God, I want to hear you speak, and I want my life to be different as I came to worship today. And we ask this all. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Malachi saw change in his day. God's people had returned from exile. And they had rebuilt the temple under uh, Nehemiah and uh, the walls and Ezra. And, and God had brought them back just as he said he would. They had spent their 70 years in the Babylonian captivity. I'm telling you, the church, the world today, we're in the Babylonian captivity on a different scale, right? And God brought them back. And when he brought them back, they reestablished worship there in the, sanctuary, in, in the temple. 
the sacrifices were being offered once again. And, and, and God's people had gotten all the idolatry out of their hearts while they were there with all those pagans in Babylonia. And they realized this idolatry is not a good thing. We can't do that again. But they came back and, and as they were there, they, they drew near to worship to God. But it quickly turned into a show. They drew near with their hearts, or with, near with their bodies, but their hearts were far from God. And it was just a ritual of religious practices and routines that they were going through. And the result was their hearts grew hard towards Him. So hard when they looked around, they saw that people had walked away from the Lord. They had walked away from His Word once again. In fact, God brings a, a rebuke for the priests and for the pew. And He brings this rebuke because there was contempt for God's altar. And contempt for God's glory and His law. Even the institution of marriage. God's institution of marriage. Which is kind of important to say in our culture today. They had forsaken their responsibility to protect that institution. The people were rebuked. Here they were questioning God's just, justice. And, and, and the messenger brings God's word back to his people. In fact, they were robbing from God. They weren't tithing and they weren't offering to him from what God had blessed them with. And they were stealing from him, he said, as they did that. In all these ways, God's people were being disobedient. And, and when they saw the wickedness around them, and they saw some who were doing wicked things and weren't being judged right away. They saw some who were exploiting people and they weren't coming to account and being held uh, to account for their actions. It'd be kind of like, you know, laptops showing up by president's sons and no one ever holding anybody to account for it. Something like that. Okay? While we're at it, might as well hit it. <clears throat> That's what was happening. What would happen if you saw that? I mean, God not judging right away the sin. People looking like they're getting away with things. You're not, this is not the only generation that saw that. Psalm 73, the son of Asaph, who writes that psalm there. He almost, he almost betrayed a generation. He almost slipped when he saw that going on in his day. Until he came into the presence of the Lord and he realized therein. I mean, we we're all going to go through times where it's going to appear like, wait, how are they getting away with that? I mean, don't you feel that way sometimes today? What, what do you do? What do you think about in that? God has a word for his people in, in such a time as this. I'm the unchanging God. I've not changed at all. You're questioning my justice. You're questioning my standard of righteousness. You're questioning these things. And yet, don't you realize you are wearying me with your words? You've forgotten who I am. You're wearying me with your words. Not in some physical sense like God is just weary. But his point is this. He's weary in hearing these hypocritical people who say they worship him. They don't live it out. They don't flesh it out. Their words are cynical and skeptical because they don't honor God. He brought them back. They did rebuild the temple. They did restore worship. And they said, oh, look at all these difficulties now that we're having. God, you're not keeping your promises. You're not doing what you said you would do. You're not blessing us as the prophets said you would. And, and as they did that, why do the righteous suffer, God? Why do the wicked prosper? Have you ever asked that? I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the truth is there are no good people. It's really why do good things happen to bad people? Why does God do good to any, any of us? I mean, that's the real question we should be asking. 
The problem was they had forgotten the terms of the covenant. They forgot they were God's covenant people. They forgot the conditions that God had laid down through the prophets as he spoke to them. When he laid down his standard and he said, this is the people that I will bless, those who obey my truth. And I will curse and put obstacles and difficulties on those who don't obey my truth. These prophets, well, I'm sorry, these priests and these people, they were divorcing their wives and marrying pagan wives. They were offering defiled sacrifices. They were robbing God of tithes and offerings. And then they were complaining about having to serve the Lord. Man, what, a, what an indictment of God's people who had been delivered from exile. They, they didn't need justice They didn't need God to do justice to them as they questioned it. They needed mercy. And they didn't realize it. And yet in the midst of that, God speaks to them because he's immutable. And he says, listen, I don't change. Because if I did, I'd consume you. You wouldn't be here if I really did what you think I should do. And and this is critical for me to understand and you to understand today about our God not changing. In his essence, who he is. Praise God. I'm never going to wake up and he's going to be different. And praise God that his love is an everlasting love. Amen. Amen. Praise God that he's faithful to what he's promised, even when I'm faithless. You see, for change to occur in God, we experience change all the time. Because, I mean, we just stop and think about what things look like different five years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. How things have changed. We know the time before and the time after that change has taken place. But for God, he's eternal. None of it changes to him. He's outside of time. He created time. In fact, not only that, God is perfect. He's not changing for the better. He just is the best. If it changed for the better, then he really never was the best. He he wouldn't be God then. And if he changed for the worst, he definitely wouldn't be God. But he doesn't change in his essence who he is. In fact, he knows all things. He's not having an aha moment. Even these circumstances that are going on, he's fully aware of what is happening. And yet it's in the midst of this that he speaks and reveals his immutability in so many ways. In fact, in verses 1 and 2, he says, listen, I have an unchanging plan. Do you realize, listen, before the foundation of the world, God has had a plan for everything that's going to take place? I mean, that's hard to understand, isn't it, some way? I mean, that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? Wow. Wait, I thought he died in AD 33 or something like that, right? When, how is he the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? God has a plan. Listen, before he made man, he had a plan on how he's going to save man. I mean, he knew it all. Or as Isaiah would say over in Isaiah uh, chapter 46, he would say there that, listen, uh, this is my plan. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are yet to be done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. God has a plan. He's working out. Now, he highlights it here in verses 1 and 2, his unchanging plan, in two ways. He highlights these messengers. He highlights their coming. He, He mentions his messenger, my messenger, I send him. And he'll prepare the way for me. Now, who was that? It was John the Baptist. This is the one who prepared the way for the first coming of Christ. This is the one that Jesus himself would allude to here from Malachi and say, this is the one that it was written of him. He was the one who was telling everybody, hey, get the road straight and flat and clean your lives up. Repent. Come back to the Lord. You've gone far from him. Oh, oh yeah, by the way, you brood of vipers, you religious folk, right? The axe is laid at the root. God's ready to chop it down. You better really get right. 
This is his first coming. In fact, it says here, he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, stop and think about this. The glory, the Shekinah glory of God left that temple. He declared Ichabod, right? And the glory left the temple. People didn't even really realize it. And it was gone. Now they rebuilt the temple and they think, all right, the presence of the Lord, that fire, where is it? We want it back. And yet, God says he's coming. That glory is coming back to his temple. And when he came, they didn't realize it, did they? They didn't recognize him. I mean, John would say, right, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, right? And yet he was the one full of glory and truth. And they didn't see him. They didn't recognize him. And he came back, the messenger of the covenant. And you say, what covenant? How's he the messenger of it? Well, you see, which covenant does he mean? Does he mean the covenant of Sinai? I mean, when Moses gave the, the Sinaitic covenant, when he gave the law written on tablets, the, the commandment that this is who you should be if you're going to be my people, you've got to keep all of this law. Is that what he meant? No, no, no. He meant the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 33, right? The covenant that God made for his people. The covenant, it's a new covenant. It's a new covenant that frankly we'll celebrate next week when we gather here to gather at the Lord's table. It's a covenant when Jesus would say, listen, this is the, the blood of the new covenant. It's my blood. It's a new covenant because now we are the covenant people of God. And that new covenant was necessary because, you see, the law that was written on stone tablets, we didn't have the ability to keep it. None of us could. I mean, just try. But if you're guilty in one, you're guilty of all. If you stumble and fall short of, of that, you have to be perfect. None of us get there. It's healthy to acknowledge that, okay? God said, I'm going to have a new covenant, but this time, instead of the, the, the law being written on, chiseled on stones, I'm going to chisel it on their hearts. And I'm going to put the ability within them to truly do it. I'm going to put my spirit within them. Because it's only God who can keep that standard, not you and not me. And, and the new covenant was written, and it was written in the blood of Christ. And then when we gather next week, that's something we celebrate, that we cherish, that we remember he says, this messenger of the covenant, he's coming. He's coming to you. And man, they didn't see him. They weren't even, frankly, looking for him, if we were honest. But they had forgotten the terms of the covenant. If they had just obeyed, they would have been, wouldn't need it. But no one can obey the, the old covenant, right? Well, God has his plans. He comes and he brings his people. And, 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 and no one can stop his plans. In fact, it's interesting. Not only did Isaiah say, listen, go ahead. Somebody, if you can tell me the beginning to the end, go ahead and tell me. But I alone am God. And my counsel will stand and no one, no one's going to stop me. I will do all of my pleasure. Do you realize God has had that plan to send his son? By the way, he said it to the first man and the first woman, right? I'm going to send one that's going to crush that serpent's head. He told the serpent that. I'm sending one who's going to crush your head. Praise God, that's Jesus. And he's done that. This is the first coming though, but in verse 2, he highlights his coming again. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's going to be a refiner's fire and like a launder's soap. You see, this is the second coming of Christ. This is something that's highlighted. We read about it in the book of Revelation. I mean, when Jesus came, they didn't. he came to cleanse. He came to purify, but not as they thought. He came to cleanse hearts that were filled with sin the first time. And, and to realize that. But when he comes the second time, he will come and he will bring 
judgment in a powerful way. Who will be able to stand when he comes in that day? I mean, Joel would say that over in his prophecy, right? Man, it's a terrible day, the day of the Lord. No one's going to be able to stand in that day, right? Because you go and read all the destruction, all the devastation, all that's going to happen in the Great Tribulation in that period, right before the Lord returns. And that'll be a destruction on a scale that the history of humanity has never, ever seen. And yet no one's going to stop God's plan from happening. It's already written. I mean, we have the beginning and the end. We have all of it. It's right here before us. And here's the amazing thing that's great comfort for you and for me if we truly trust in the God who is unchanging. His plan will never waver and no one will ever stop him. Man, praise God. He's not some fickle pagan God. He's not changing with the wind. I wonder if he'll bless me today. I wonder if he's going to be able to accomplish his plan today. He's not going to wake up and have some new improved plan tomorrow. No, no, he's already written the whole story. Amazing. Why wouldn't I trust in him? Why wouldn't I weave my story into his story and let him be a part of my life, right? Since he gives me life. He's written all my days in a book. Why wouldn't I surrender to the plan that he has for my life? And this is the amazing thing. They don't realize it. You forget who I am. In fact, he goes on, he says, I have an unchanging purpose. And what is that? When he appears, he's going to be a refiner's fire. He's going to be like launderer's soap. He's going to sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he'll purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. What is God's desire? I mean, it's one thing for God to say his plan. This is what I'm going to do. It's another thing to say his purpose. Why is he doing that? What does he want to do in my life? Now, here's his purpose. Verse 3. God's purpose is to purify a people. Stop and think for a moment. We definitely need to be purifying because we're wretched sinners. Amen? Now, if you can't be honest with yourself and say, and say amen to that, then you need to look in the mirror again. The mirror of God's word. All right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us desperately need a heart change. All of us desperately need our life to be radically changed. God's unchanging purpose is this. I'm going to purify a people. No one's going to be able to stand in his presence in the day of judgment. The only way you'll be able to stand is if God purifies your heart, if God purifies your soul, if God purifies your life. When he comes, he comes like the refiner's fire. He comes like the launderer's soap. Those are things that purify and cleanse. I mean, when that refiner's fire takes that ore of gold ore or silver ore and he, he takes a great big clump of it and he puts it in that smelting pot and he adds a little bit of fire to it. He begins to pure, to to burn off all those impurities and, and, and the dross he, he draws off of it. And he does that particularly with silver until he can see his face in it. And when he sees that, that mirror, that reflection of him, he knows it's purified. Now God wants to do that in your life and my life as well. And you know how you know what he's looking for? He wants to see Jesus in me and Jesus in you. He wants to see less of us and more of him. And he, he's not done working on us. In fact, what's fascinating to me is God's, a lot of people think God's desire is to make us happy. No, God's desire is to make us holy, right? He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He wants us to go down the right path because he's a holy God. And the righteous path, according to uh, Romans chapter 6, when you and I present ourselves as slaves of righteousness, it leads to holiness. That's what God's really after. Listen, God did not save you and save me to stay like we all once were. He wants to change us. Amen? 
And, and that's what we should, and you say, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor Chris. Okay, fine, here's New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Ready? This is really simple. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. It couldn't be any more clear than that, could it? That God wants you and I to be a clean people, a pure people, to be sanctified, set apart to him, set apart to him, and set apart from the world. Now, this is the important thing about change. This is God's unchanging purpose, but that unchanging purpose is that you and I change, that we be cleansed. Stop and think about this. How does change take place a lot of times? One of my sons works over there at Mac Molding. It's pretty amazing. You know what they do? <clears throat> you can be conformed to a mold. It's an external thing. You pour a little plastic in there. It gets really hot, and then it, it, it cools, and it takes the shape of that mold. It's conformed to that. That's not the change. That's something from the outside that's applied to you, and you conform to that shape, that mold. That's what the world wants to do in your life and my life. It wants to conform us to that shape, to that mold. God's type of change is not out, outside, from the outside. It's from the inside. He wants to transform our life. By the way, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't even want to reform us. Because <laughs> what we were originally made, we fell. That mold was broken, right? He doesn't want that. He wants to transform us. And transforming us happens as we renew our minds. We put off the old and we put on the new. And the way we do it is renewing our mind. And how do I renew my mind? I, I, I take every thought captive to the knowledge of who he is. I, I, I listen to what he has to say. I order my life with truth. And I believe in truth. And it's as I'm transformed from the inside out, I bear witness of that. And, and, and this is the amazing thing. God's one goal, God's desire, God's one purpose is that we would be changed, that we would be purified. Now, if you and I think that, listen, I'm a pretty good preacher. There's nothing really that I have to work on. I'll just tell you right now, this pastor has a lot to work on. And I don't even need my, my bride and my, my children to say, oh, yeah, he's got a lot to work on. I'll just be honest and tell you, oh, I've got a lot. And so do you, if you're honest with yourself. If you think you've arrived, you're far from God. I mean, if there's any selfishness, impatience, pride, lust, jealousy, gossip, anger, criticism, a disgruntled spirit, and we need to repent of those things. We all have difficulty with one or two or three or many of those things, but really, we should be daily dying to self and finding life in Christ. Those things no longer ruling over us because we've been set free. Amen. And Christ has shed his blood to set us free, to purchase us off that slave box so sin doesn't rule, rule, rule over our life anymore. In fact, you say, here's a little New Testament principle, by the way, from Peter, who would affirm of the church the same things he says of Israel, that we're a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, right? All the things that were said of, of, of Israel over in Exodus chapter 20, Repeated of the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. Do you know what he says over there in 1 Peter chapter 1? He says this. Hey, listen. As obedient children of God, listen, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Or be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This isn't just Old Testament principles. It's applied to the church because we've been grafted in. That's at least what Romans 11 says, right? We're now in the tree, y'all. Do you think God would treat us any differently than he treat his own people? No. God is unchanging. He's the same to Jew and Gentile. He's the great I am. His name is unchanging. So we should expect him to treat us in the same way he would treat them. And same expectations of us as he would have of them. He, isn't, he doesn't change. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. 
And when he comes, Jesus is coming for a spotless bride. He's, you and I, John would say this in 1 John chapter 2. If you have the hope of heaven in your heart and you believe Jesus is coming again, then you purify yourself and you're looking with expectation. He could come anytime. I need to get my life right. That means there may be something. I need to get on the altar from time to time and just say, you know what, Lord, I, I need to stop doing this. But I can't. I need your help. I need you to crucify this in my life. And I want to see Christ in me. I want to see the reflection of Jesus. I, I want to see that. Can, I just, can we just be honest for a moment? As we get older, <clears throat> all right, I get older and I look in the mirror and things are changing. I still have hair, but it's gray. All right? I have these things called wrinkles. All right? And your, your body's changing and, and it's humbling. Amen? All right? And I'm bigger. Okay? Um, but what happens when I look in the Word? It's a mirror too, right? When I look in the mirror, shouldn't I see change in my life? Like, I'm not doing some of the things I used to do because Christ has changed me. I'm not reigned and ruled by desires that I once, you know, they used to rule me. No, no, because Christ has changed me. I'm being transformed. I should be able to look here and see difference. And so should you. And if I don't, then I should be convicted and say, you know what, Lord, I, I, this really needs a change in my life. And I don't need my spouse to elbow me and say, this is you, you need to listen right now. We all need to listen, students alike and parents, spouses, all of us. Because none of us has arrived. And what God's desire is, is that we be purified, be changed. Now, here's the thing. He says, I have an unchanging standard of righteousness, verses 4 and 5. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. I will come near you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, the perjurers, those who exploit wage earners, and widows and orphans, and those who turn away the alien. Why? Because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. They were complaining. God, why aren't you judging them? Why are they getting away with it? Why are they exploiting people and no one ever takes them to account? Why are they taking advantage of the poor? Why are they taking advantage of a widow? Why, why are they getting away with murder? Why? In fact, God, it's kind of like this, as it says over in chapter 2, verse 17. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Where's your justice, God? And this is the amazing thing you need to stop and think. God's standard has not changed. He is still righteous and always will be righteous. But you ask yourself this question. If God is the one who defines what is right and wrong, if God is going to read judgment on those who do the wrong things because they don't repent, if God is going to do that, why doesn't he do it right away? When there's no fear of God in their eyes, why is it? Well, one day they will fear him. In fact, why does God act this way? When they're exposed, when it's totally obvious, and they should be judged. A famous preacher said it this way. There's going to be a payday someday. And they'll have to pay a lot in that day. In fact, here's really the question. Why doesn't he bring the hammer? Why does God, why does God allow you and me to get away with sin? For a season? I mean, stop and think about that. What's the wages of sin? All the kids will tell you. We've learned this. Memorizing the Bible. We learn it. Death. It's what it deserves. Doesn't matter how big, how small. Doesn't matter what it is, the scope or size of it. Sin is sin. That's what it deserves. Man, I'm, you probably, that's a change too, probably in a church, hearing the word sin, right? It is. Why doesn't God bring the hammer down right away? 
Why, why does he hold back? Why is he long-suffering? Why is he patient? Why is he good to us even when we don't deserve it? Why would he act this way? Paul tells us the reason why. Over in Romans chapter 2. But, but you know, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, that doing the same you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, here it is, leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each according to his deeds eternal life to those who, by patience, continuance, and doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. God ain't changed, y'all. He's unchanging. His standard has not changed. His standard is righteousness. He defines it. And one day he will bring judgment. And when he does, it will be swift. And it will be thorough. But why does he hold it back? That's the question. Why does God do good to the evil? Why does God do good to those who do wickedness? Why? Oh, he's long-suffering, y'all. You see, because God's unchanging in his love. You see, that's what he says. For I'm the Lord and I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. You see, I've pledged a love to you. It's actually written over there in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. When he says, Malachi, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. And yet you say to me, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? And yet Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. I've shown you my electing love on you. I've chosen you. I've blessed you. And you're questioning my love and you're questioning my judgment. But if I changed and was not loving and merciful to you, then I would have consumed you. You see, here's the amazing thing. You and I may think at times we're getting away with it. You don't get away with anything with God. Realize that. And he is holding back and even doing good to us at times. Why? So that we'll repent. So that we'll return. Why? Because he's a loving God. His love is unchanging. He says that to them in Malachi 1. God's unchanging love. Jacob, I have loved. He speaks to them here. Oh, sons of Jacob. I've not changed. I still love you. I still woo you. I still want you to turn to me. I mean, this is fascinating to me. You find this all throughout Scripture. The unchanging God, Yahweh is His name. He is, and He has always been this way. And He doesn't change. And He makes promises to His people. And, and, and as He does that, His desire is that they turn to Him. Praise God. I mean, God is love. That doesn't change. You read it in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospel, or in the Epistle of John. 1 John chapter 1, right? Or chapter 4. God is love. And the expression of his love is, listen, that, that you would realize I've provided the sacrifice for sin so you don't have to die. I've provided everything to need to purge you and to cleanse you. And, and I want to be merciful to you. And what God desires is that we repent. I mean, it's fascinating to me. When Jesus burst on the scene there, and the first thing his preaching is what? Repent and believe. 
That's what he called him to do. It's what the prophets always said to do. It's what Lady Wisdom was doing. Read Lady Wisdom in, in Proverbs chapter 1 sometime. What she's shouting out to the simpletons, to those passing by, to the foolish, those who have no regard. Even the scoffers get at least one invitation. It's pretty amazing. Then they're gone from the rest of chapters 1 through 9. She's crying out, turn, turn to me, turn at my reproof. I'm correcting you, turn to me. God has been blasting that at us. From the rooftops, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me while there's time. Jesus said the same thing. Repent. What does that mean? Turn. Why? Because he's got unchanging love, man. Mm. Why won't we experience it? It's there for us. But the problem is our unchanging ways. You see, from our days, from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, God's message to his people is this. Turn back to me. Turn back to me. You're going the wrong way. It's a way of death and destruction. Turn back to me. Shuv is the Hebrew term. It means turning around and going in another direction. Walking back, that's the change God's desire for you and for me. It's repentance. It's a change of mind that results in a change of life. It's a change of living. Why? Because I've been made new. I've been loved by God. I've been loved by God in Christ, amen? And I realized the one who gave his life for me. And now my life is a response to that love that, that I've experienced. And praise God, there's nothing that's ever going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing, Paul would say over in Romans, right? Man, what an amazing God. That love is unchanging, but we have to change. You see, our unchanging ways is, he says here, you're just like the days of your fathers. You're just like them. So are we in a lot of ways. Mm. We don't realize it. I mean, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Can we be honest? From Adam, I mean. Amen? We're just like him and Eve. It, it may come out and manifest itself in different ways. But what we need to do is turn back to him. Turn back to him. And why wouldn't we? He's shown us this amazing love. Our unchanging ways, it says in verse 7. It's God's indictment of his people. You've forsaken me. You've rebelled against me. You've been obstinate. You've been disobedient. Why? Because the heart of man is exceedingly wicked, Jeremiah would say. Who can know it? Only God does. Turn, turn, turn while there is time. You see, you stop and think about this. They say in 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, in the end times, they're going to be saying, where's God? Where's the promise of his coming? Everything just happens just like it always has been. Where is he? You said he's coming back. I mean, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came. Where is he? Come on, church, where is he today? And they forget a day with God is as a thousand years to us, right? A thousand years to us is a day to him. He's not slack. He's not slow. He's coming. But what he desires, Peter would tell us, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, is what? That we would repent. He said it's always the message of the Bible. That's, by the way, why churches you know, should give an, uh, time to respond Man, I've heard God speak, and I'm undone, and I realize I'm not going out the same way I came in. I'm going to be different because I'm putting my faith and trust in the only one who can change my life because he's unchanging. In fact, that's the invitation today. Why leave the same way you came in? Leave different. Let truth transform your life. You can't step into the same river twice. Hopefully, that would be the same for South River. 
right? No, no, I came in, I heard the word, and I heard God speak. And now as I leave, God, I want to see that change in my life. I want to be different because I've, I've met God. And I've surrendered and yielded to Jesus. And so that's just the truth today. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The invitation is quite simple. If I've heard God speak, will I respond to him today?